0: Reading Short and Deep Hi, I'm Jesse And I'm Eric And today we're reading Short and Deep Hall of Mirrors by Frederick Brown This is first published in Galaxy uh, December 1953 uh, Or Galaxy Science Fiction December 1953 Um, I uh, sometimes forget to put that Science Fiction in there Um, I'm not sure that they always remembered to put it in the title, but I I feel like we haven't been doing enough science fiction stories, um, and I'm glad we're doing this one because I like science fiction.
1: (laughs) Well, I like science fiction, too. Uh, Interested in knowing what a science fiction story is, um, and this is one of those stories that actually can raise definitional questions. Um, There are, for instance, definitions that people think of as exemplified by the work of HG Wells, Mm -hmm. although it doesn't entirely, that says assume that we know everything that we do about the world as it functions, meaning science and sociology and so forth. And then you make one assumption that's counterfactual, Um, and let everything else be extrapolated from that. And uh, if that's the case, then um, alternate histories become science fiction, and this story becomes science fiction, and so on. I know others, uh, Greg Benford is one, who says that the only science fiction that's worth the name is so-called hard science fiction, where you could sit down with your calculator and demonstrate that the things that are said to happen will happen the way they are said to happen, as if in the Gernsback sense, the story made us want to be scientists. And I say that the Hall of Mirrors, excuse me, Hall of Mirrors by Brown, in no sense makes one want to be a scientist, I think. Mm. It may raise some questions about what it means to be a scientist but it's really um much more like uh, those philosophical tales the con philosophique that people like voltaire used to write where you see the setup you think of what's going on and then you say "Hmm, what does that mean for my life the way candide you know mm-hmm. an innocent fellow gets through the world crappy things keep happening and then the question is Is it good to have an attitude that says this is the best of all possible worlds, or should cynicism be the new realism? Um, This is a philosophical tale, I think.
0: Yeah, and I I agree. Um, And the way I was gonna go in that direction is, yeah, uh, Benford's not uh, not right because that's too limiting. Um, He's he's thinking, you know, physics um, and. I'm thinking metaphysics, I'm thinking epistemology, I'm thinking ethics and aesthetics, and all of these things uh, are what science were when they were called natural philosophy, right? The figuring out what is, what, what can be, what ought be, and doing so in a fairly rugged or rigorous, I guess is probably the right word, manner rather than just drifting about, and I think he's he's in this story, Brown is thinking um, not so much about whether it's physically possible for such a machine to be invented, as is appears in this story, as is what are the implications of such a machine to us in our th- own thinking, because to me the question is uh, of the story is what would you do? and i think we all will have some reactions to it and i think that's part of the way it's been constructed but i think it's mostly about the idea and that's really what makes science fiction is it's idea fiction it's about something for you to think about and and come to some realization or some some struggle with at least
1: huh One of these days, uh, we should have that definitional discussion um, at length. I think that there are examples of works that are considered science fiction by many that. Well, I just for for instance, a a book I like um, is Dying Inside by Robert Silverberg, Mm -hmm. which is a novel about a man in his middle age who finds his powers, his youthful powers waning. His youthful power was wonderful ESP. He could find out what was going on in anybody's mind. And instead of using this for, I don't know what international diplomacy, um, building business empires, uh, having a marvelous uh, marriage. Um, what he does is, uh, sell himself out as a plagiarist. He creates... Essays for students at Columbia University by reading their minds, reading the professor's mind, and making sure that he writes a paper for them that plausibly could have been theirs. Mm. So he doesn't mistakenly give them an A plus paper if this is a B mind, so as it were. And he wakes up after years of not having finished his degree and not having done anything and realizes now I'm not as good at it as I used to be. And he's wondering what are the powers that i have it's a it's a question about aging it's really i think a terrific novel it's usually considered science fiction but i don't know what the science is about it and it's not asking us really to to wonder about for example the ethics of telepathy it's asking us most strongly to ask about what does it mean to be losing your power Mm. and this story hall of mirrors i think is not as well written, frankly, as dying inside, but it's much, much shorter and it does, Mm -hmm. uh, it raises two issues. Um, The fact that it raises two is what bothers me. Uh, The second one I think is excrescent, but the main issue is this, and I'll just review this. Uh, uh, A fellow starts out, it begins, for an instant you think it is temporary blindness, this sudden dark that comes in the middle of a bright afternoon. It must be blindness, you think. And then whoever you is, uh, somehow this is a second person narration. It turns out that the speaker is recounting an experience where he suddenly discovers that he, um, instead of being poolside in Beverly Hills, uh, sorry, Bel- is it Bel Air? It Bel- Bel- Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Um, with his beautiful blonde uh, Barbara in Beverly Hills. There's a lot of bees going on here. His fiance, he's suddenly naked in a a room. That's basically a four foot by four foot closet with nothing at all closet like in it. And he opens the door and comes out into a sealed room that has another door. Um, and it's, it's a, a room with a few pieces of furniture, one of which is of a sort he does not understand. He finds a letter and the letter tells him, basically, um, you are here 50 years from when you were. Um, You're still 25. Um, I have brought you here. Um, I am you from the future. I am 75. And the thing is, I invented a time machine. But the way it works is. It can only take something back to an earlier state of what it was. It doesn't move back through time. It moves the thing inside the machine back through time. So I have stepped into my machine and I am now 25 year old me. And you've got to decide whether or not you want to go out that door when the time lock opens and you can join the world of 50 years in the future, 2004, which doesn't look at all like our years in the a decade and a half in the past. But that's another story. You can decide whether or not you want to go out there and then perhaps wait another 50 years and do it again and always lose the life that you've lived. Because, like, I can tell you, you you did marry Barbara, but she died three years later in a plane accident. You have a child and you've missed all of that stuff. Would you trade? your life to live over again, your youth for all of the experiences and memories you have growing up. That's a deep philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one sort of like the one that Silverberg raises. The other part has to do with the technology. Um, should you keep this a secret from the world? Um, what if you let the world have it? Would it lead to overpopulation? Um, and all of that I think is handled badly because, if this guy could invent it, someone else could invent it. It's not as if the world has to change one way or the other depending upon this one man's decision. Um, so that's kind of weak.
0: I, but, I, I 100% agree. And I think we shouldn't even bother talking about that part because it's it, it's so unimportant to me that I completely forgot about it. I'm like, what's Eric talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, like, I th- I think I think it's there. Is, I think Brown
1: wants it to be important because he tells us quite explicitly that this man, our speaker, is a 25 year old associate professor of mathematics at University of Southern California. Even in the field of mathematics where people often uh, do important work very young, being an associate professor at USC at the age of 25 suggests a certain level of brilliance. Um, also, his name is Norman Hastings.
0: I, I, uh, I, I think that that is significant. Okay, then you take it away, Jesse. So uh, I was thinking about why I, I, it didn't occur to me what it meant at first. Uh, I I just it's just a name, but then I'm like, lo- wait, wait, Hastings, Battle of Hastings, Normans. Okay, so this does have significance, and it's significance in the way that the Battle of Hastings is significant. So w- the the editorial introduction. Um, makes clear, I think, the the point of the ending and I think the point we agree uh, is most interesting. It's a tough decision to make whether to give up your life so you can live it over again. Um, when we think about, when I talk about, to my students, about, you know, important things in history you need to know, um, you know, where languages came from, etc., wh- where, why some things are the way they are, you have to sort of pick arbitrary dates in history um, and say, this is significant, or this is is really significant, right? And for English, there's almost nothing more significant than the last successful invasion of England or the last successful invasion of Britain, which was in 1066, when the Normans crossed over and William the Conqueror defeated blah, blah, blah right the important part is everyone knows that 1066 is important and that it's an important sort of fateful day and this story is set up for us especially us as readers to make a fateful decision and so that name supports that inference so I, I agree that uh, this the stuff about overpopulation is sort of the far less interesting and uh, the invented technology, you know, how that works is far less interesting than just the idea uh, of this is a kind of time travel or a kind of um, youth regenerator that I think a lot of people would not instantly accept as a great idea. You don't get to keep all the benefits of your experience, experiential life the only thing you get to keep is basically your your possessions and your your you get a renewed youth and that is not what everybody's looking for i think in terms of either time travel or of immortality and and in just a few pages in a 15 minute story you get uh a really good uh you you were down on his writing but i think um it, telling I wasn't it wasn't say
1: down i just said i didn't think this was as good as silverberg's dying inside well there are some aspects of the writing here that i think the second are really quite person good.
0: Is, is used so effectively um, the, the fact that we have to give the main character a gender and a name kind of uh dilutes the effect but as it, as it progresses, for an instant, you think it's temporary blindness. Um, uh, that's a great opening. But then there's an even greater one, uh, or a greater turn, when um, when we, we are reading the letter that we wrote. And we look up from the page, bewildered, and then turn the page. I think that that's brilliant. End of the first page. You look up for a moment, hesitating to turn the next page. Already you suspect what is coming. Yes, I do. And then you turn the page. Yes, I do. <laughs> that's brilliant. The fact that it's... it's. Uh, how many characters are in this story? Mm, hard to say. Maybe one or none. <laughs> right? Us. Only the reader could be in, yeah, the I story think, I told think, in a story. I a certain think way.
1: Handles... I think Brown handles the narration here excellently. Mm -hmm. He implicates the reader in this decision. Uh, One can even go so far as to say that the story we have in our hand within which there is a letter that Norman Hastings reads could itself be that is this story something that would be in a letter that the next iteration of Norman Hastings would read Mm -hmm. 50 years (laughs) yet further into the future. Uh, because the you and the I are the same person, but since we're the ones who are reading it, we're completely implicated in it. I think that's handled really marvelously. I, I, I would go uh, and add to that the use of the word blindness. It's a story called Hall of Mirrors. Mirrors are about seeing, after all. The very first line says, for an instant, you think, as you pointed out, um, it is temporary blindness. Um And then that word blindness recurs on the first page. Whatever has happened to you is more than a change of sudden darkness or to sudden blindness. It's more than a change to sudden blindness, but it doesn't say it's not a change to sudden blindness. And then the word blindness does not appear again until we get to the end of the story. At the end of the story, as Norman is contemplating whether or not he's going to uh, go out and live his life to 75 again and then go back or whether it'll go out and destroy the plans for the time machine or go out and let the world know it i mean but he thinks about this possibility of going back again and again with uh, letters that have more and more in them you sit there that's norman staring straight ahead of you blindly mm-hmm seeing in your mind's eye the vista of a set of facing mirrors like those in an old fashioned barbershop, reflecting the same thing over and over again, diminishing into far distance as if repetition per se diminishes things. So the, the notion is that because we're blind, that key issue of blindness means that even if we have a mirror, We can't really know whether or not something is good, because if if we had perfect mirrors, that by definition would make them ever less valuable to us, whatever it is we see in those mirrors. So there is this enormous pull to want to retain your youth. I mean, at 75, Mm -hmm. the idea that you can have the vigor of 25 and a life ahead of you is enormously attractive and yet, if you think of it again and again and again, do you want to just play it out until you die? Mm-hmm. There's the story, that part of the story is terrific. And the cause, we are implicated in that second-person narration. Um, I think Brown has caught us. I, I really do like that. The, my quarrel with the story is not that it doesn't have good writing. It's that it's got some other writing that isn't <laughs>
0: I think I think that 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 at the time is a lot more legitimate. When this story comes out in what is it, fifty four, right? Uh, fifty three, right? Set in fifty four. Um, when it comes out in fifty three, uh, you know we don't know what two thousand four is going to be like. We don't know anything about what the future will be like, really. And oh no, yet- I
1: didn't. I, I didn't mean this. The setting. I meant the the the, 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 the presumption that if if norman hastings doesn't share the secret of this time machine it will go uninvented forever
0: yeah That's, i'm not just, yeah i i think that assumption's bad too but I, I like the idea of overpopulation problems um i think that this if this technology did escape uh from his knowledge or whatever uh, or someone else has invented it there would be normal science, science fiction style implications that cause difficulties for some um what those would be i'm far less interested in Uh, but i think at the time they were incredibly interested in um we're we're more interested in the personal implications because we know uh how the population bomb sort of did or didn't go off um so for us that part of you know those implications are sort of far less and uh, and the fact that it is told and As you is you know it's told in second person so that we are we are implicated as you put it in the crimes about to be or not committed Um, so in my first reading I didn't even think about how negative the ending is uh, about how how it is actually a fairly hard decision in my first reading, is like, damn, that guy sort of screwed you, but what are you gonna do? You gotta go outside. Are you gonna stay in this room? Um, but now, thinking about it, I I I don't wonder what that other piece of furniture is. I I love that we've got five pieces of furniture, right? You close the door and stand around, the, uh, looking at the room. It's about twelve feet or twelve by sixteen feet. There is one door, but it is closed. There are no windows. Five pieces of furniture. Four of them you recognize, more or less. One looks like a very functional desk. One is obviously a chair. A comfortable looking one. There is a table, although its top is on several levels instead of only one. Another is a bed or a couch. Something, right? Now, he didn't mention the fifth one. He comes back to talking about the fifth one, but he still doesn't know what it is. He says that, uh, something along the lines of it'd be like one of your ancestors uh, looking at a television they wouldn't know what it was and for us we still don't know what it is even though we live in the year 2018 and he's living in the year 1954 or 1953 when he's writing this so whatever that fifth object is it might be a way of killing yourself Um and if it is that does sort of end the the horror that's about to happen. There's two kinds of immortality in this story. One is his son, who's uh, what uh, an accountant. yes, um, in some mid- Midwestern town or city. I can't remember it was it was Cleveland. Kansas City. yeah, okay. Kansas City, there you go. Um, uh, that's one way of becoming immortal. Um, and not in the way that this kind of horror does, where he's had his entire life taken away from him, in a certain sense, by himself, betrayed by himself. So, I'm not, uh, I, I was like, oh, who wouldn't take this bargain the first time I read it? And I didn't see how negative the implications it are of that. It is very narcissistic, Right. Yeah. To sort of just, like, I'm going to live forever. Um, and it's it's so narcissistic in that I, even my memories don't matter. It's just my will. That, that piece of paper he's reading is, in a sense, his will. Right? Here is what I've bequeathed you. Now you have a decision to make. You're going to take up this bequeathment, or are you going to not take it up? But he, there's no... It's an irrevocable change. He can't go forward in time and fix it. The time machine only works up one direction, right? So it, what's what's so astounding to me is this is a completely different kind of time travel story than any other kind that I've seen because he isn't a clone. The memories that he has of being with his fiance at the poolside looking at her at her beautiful suntan skin enjoying the prospect of a life with her ahead did happen those aren't memories those are his just the moment before experience they're not past memories from you know a 75 year old man uh looking back they are he isn't the 75 year old man he's just be rewound to that point and his memories, they haven't been deleted. It's like they they haven't been formed yet. So there's nothing technically lost. And that is is—that is a very different kind of feeling than, you know, I've, I'm just a clone with a, a duplicated memory or anything. Like no matter how many letters you write to yourself, that is not the same as living your life. So I think this story has incredible... Incre- implications and i wanted to ask you specifically because you are um (laughs) farther down the road towards maybe if you had this deal of doing it than i am just you're older than me um so what do you think about the ending because i'm fascinated to hear your answer
1: well i there's two parts uh, asking what uh, to reply to what you said explicitly um I honestly don't know the people because I, I, I mean, there are people I love, things that I've done um, that I cherish. And if I were to uh, go back 50 years, that would put me just slightly before my marriage. Um, well, that's not true. I've been married 50 years, so let's make it 51 years. Um, if I were to go back and, and not have my marriage, my children, my career, my experiences, the good things and the bad things, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to have another shot at doing stuff. But if the cost of that is everything that I've had, I honestly don't know.
0: Well, they all had it though, right? So it's not like your wife and your son are, you know, none of your none of your family well, no. are have lost have lost anything. It's only no,
1: I'm you. not. I'm not worried about taking it away from them. I'm worried about taking it away from me. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, that will be taken away if you don't regenerate at some point. Exactly. If I
1: die, that will go away. So if you could time it properly, if I knew that today was the last healthy day of my life, mm. and I could you know, bid farewell to these people I love and tell them, you know, think of this as the day that I died and then wake up 50 years, you know, 50 years from now at, at, at the age of 21, um, I might do it. I might do it, but there's, but it's a might, uh, at least as I feel it emotionally, I'm Mm -hmm. not given the actual opportunity, but I think there may be something else in this story that we have elided you know the use of blindness as a as bookends to this story is really important. But the fellow thinks that he's blind when he wakes up in a closet. Now that word closet recurs many times. So after he wakes up and he open, not wakes up when he suddenly is aware that he's standing naked in the closet, a closet that has nothing of his in it. He says, "You." Step into the room, turning to look behind you into the closet, which is now illuminated by the light from the room. The closet is and is not a closet. It is the size and shape of one, but it contains nothing, not a single hook, no rod for hanging clothes, no shelf. It is an empty blank walled Mm -hmm. four by four foot space. This is a story in which somebody comes starts to come out of the closet. And then he's got an hour to decide whether or not if this door, the other door opens, he will, in fact, go fully out of the closet. That phrase to come out of the closet was already in use in the 1950s. I don't know if Frederick Brown was himself gay or not. I haven't been able to find out if he was married or had children, Um, but you don't have to write only about your own experience. The the constraints that this fellow feels by suddenly realizing he is in the closet and that he could have a whole life ahead of him Mm. if he will just not come out of that closet or it could be entirely different if he stays in the closet. That really gets to the heart, I think, of the emotional uh, question, what is really me? Am I really the person who had these memories that I got to build up over those years with people who mattered to me? Or is there a me that exists that is utterly divorced from all of the other people in the world around me? And the reason it's such a hard decision is that if you say the real me is just the me who had, before I've come out of the closet then you're not going to be able to have a world but if coming out of the closet means you have to relive your life in a whole new way that in a sense invalidates all of the life that you had before mm-hmm. we could read this story as a very different kind of parable
0: so it's, it's incredibly point- deep Yeah, the fact that it it it's puts us in the position. Um, I, I at first thought he was in. Uh, very first time I read it, I thought, "Oh, it's a he's in a coffin," and in a certain sense, he is, right? He, he, he yep. when he steps out of that that windowless closet, he steps out into a windowless room, and there's only and a it's door a, beyond.
1: And it's a self-constructed coffin because it is mm-hmm. he. It, it is he who, in fact, invents and builds the time machine. Yep.
0: And that room, that timer on the on the door is – the. this is – what I love about Frederick Brown is when you read his stories, they are kind of puzzles in the same way that the lady or the tiger, that story is a puzzle, right? Yeah. The, the conclusion we are to come to at the end of that story is not the same kind of conclusion, but it does reflect – like the, the answers that people give – are reflective upon their own experience of these circumstances. And so that, what is beyond the door? Is he going to go to find his son and, you know, say, uh, Look, I've lost all memory of you, but we are family somehow. Um, can we connect? Or is he going to start a new life? Um, is he going to, you know, go out and uh, find a knife? kill himself
1: in some ways uh, it's wonderful how you've made this connection this talk about the door um, Brown's most famous novel is What Mad mm-hmm. Universe which, which I enjoyed enormously uh, when I read it when it wasn't all that old um, but he probably in the history of the genre is best known for a short story called Knock mm-hmm. which is a tiny tiny story from 1948 uh, that says um, the last man on earth sat alone sat in, a in a room there was a knock on the door mm-hmm. and that's the end I mean it's not the end when he finally published it but but in uh, in Thrilling Wonder Stories they published just that and invited readers to uh, write in and give ways of finishing the story that two sentences What will be on the other side? What will knock, you know, what does it mean to be the last man on earth? What, you know, you could say, well, it's the last woman. It's the last, it's the first robot. It's an alien. It could be a, a a tree branch, you know, that's Mm. caught in a a limb, uh, caught in a wire because there's been an atomic war. You could say all kinds of things, but, you know, Aristotle thought of people as inherently social. Right. A featherless biped that lives in a polis. If there are no other people, maybe you're not the last man on Earth. Maybe there are no men on Earth. What does it mean to be alone? Mm. What does it mean to say my real self is in the closet? And out there, I am not my real self, but I have people. What a trade-off. It's a, a stunning story. But there is always more to say.
0: And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.